Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Good morning, Three Creeks. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here, and welcome to our Sunday morning service. Just just one piece of this journey uh, with God in this journey with one another, and I just want to double down on what Chris and Kendall were talking about a little bit earlier. Our community groups, it's the secret sauce around here, and uh, the friendships, the relationships that are built there, that's what makes Three Creeks feel like home. And so if you're newer to our church, I just want to uh, double down on what they said and encourage you to check those out. I'm not a real, uh, I'm not a real big Greek mythology guy. I think we were supposed to read some of those books in high school, and I forgot, or just didn't do them on purpose and then lied about it. But I heard this story, and I thought I'd share it with you as I start today. Have you ever heard in in, in Greek mythology of the sirens? They're not the sirens on a police car or a fire truck. The sirens are, are half bird, half woman, and they live on these islands that are surrounded by cliffs and rocks. And the story goes is that the sirens, they kind of represent temptation. And they, anytime a ship would sail near the islands, the sirens would begin to sing. And their, their song was so beautiful that the sailors couldn't help themselves but turn their ship to sail closer to the shores to hear more of the song. And they would inevitably run into the rocks and their ships would break apart and everybody would die. One of the captains of a ship, Odysseus, was warned about the sirens. He, he had heard that this is what was going to happen. And so as they began to approach the islands, he took some beeswax and he stuffed it into the ears of all of his sailors. And then he had his sailors tie him to the mast. And he said, no matter how much I ask you to untie me, do not untie me from this mast. And so they tied him to the mast and all the sailors couldn't hear the song. And they They made their way by the island. Another captain of another ship, Orpheus, he led the Argonauts, was also warned about the sirens. But rather than stuffing his sailor friends with their ears with wax and tying himself to the mast, as soon as he saw the islands in the distance and thought, this is going to be tough. Stronger men than me have fallen. He pulled out a lyre and began to play a song. And he played the song so loudly and so beautifully that the sailors were entranced by this new song. And they sailed by the islands peacefully. The song of the sirens had been drowned out. Which approach do you like better? Which one lasts longer? Which one can you rely on? Just want to leave that hanging there for a second. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll circle back to it, to it towards the end. I'd like to pray as I start today's message and uh, just would ask that you join me. So if, if you would, Lord, I'm going to pray right now. And this is not a segue 
into the next part of the message, but rather, God, this is a plea for help because this is one that, uh, man, if I leave these people with my ideas, that will surely let them down and it will surely have no impact. But Lord, if you want us to receive something from you today, Lord, I am open to that, and I pray that our church would be as well. And so we turn our attention, Lord, to your voice and to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like to start today's message by asking you a a question. Is there any area of your life that you would consider being out of control? Any area of your life that you would consider as being out of control? Perhaps there's an area that comes to mind quickly. Let me ask you a couple other questions and, and see if any of these strike a chord. What about your, uh, your schedule or your calendar? Does it ever feel like it's out of control? How about your finances? How about your relationships with other people? Does it ever feel out of control? How about your emotions towards people, like jealousy or bitterness? Do those ever feel out of control? Here's one. How about your thoughts, emotions such as worry or fear or lust? Do they ever feel out of control? Is there any area of your life that feels out of control? How about your relationship with alcohol or drugs or prescription drugs or gambling or gossiping or screen time, does that feel in control? Do you have a critical spirit that's out of control, a drive to be successful? that is now out of control. How about sexual purity? For those of you that are married or those of you that are single, does that feel in control or does it at times feel out of control? A desire to be loved or accepted can get out of control. A desire to be wealthy and secure can get out of control. A desire to play video games or watch sports or shop on Amazon or work out. All of those things can spin and get out of control. And so when you think about your life, is there any area of your life that feels out of control? I have a sneaky suspicion that I'm not the only person in the room that feels like there are areas of my life that aren't in control. Every person in this room, I think if in our most honest moments, would have to say, yeah, I don't feel totally in control of everything that you just brought up, Joel. And, and ultimately, friends, it's, it's a lack of self-control that allows these things to get out of control. And the Bible talks a lot about self-control. And the reason that the Bible talks a lot about self-control is because God knows that we are tempted to overindulge. He knows that we are tempted naturally to push the boundary, to want one more bite or or one more time or one more look. And we all know how that story goes. 
God knows that his kids are, are, are just incessantly tempted to push it and see how far we can get. C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters, he's somebody that we, I just talk a lot about because he's, he's so wise and, and puts these emotions that we have into language that I think helps us understand it. He says, so Screwtape Letters is a, it's a collection of letters. There's the head demon named Screwtape who writes these letters to his nephew whose name is Wormwood. And the enemy in Screwtape Letters is God. And the enemies are Christians. This is what Screwtape writes to Wormwood. He says, all we can really hope to do is encourage our enemies, that is the Christians, to take the good things that our enemy has given them, that is the good things God has given us, all we can hope to do is encourage them to take them at the wrong time, in the wrong quantity, or with the wrong people. Because they're wired to overindulge. They're wired to take the good things that God has given and twist them and and let them spin out of control. We are naturally bent to binge. Self-control does not come naturally, but it is a fruit of the Spirit, which is this series that we're in called Locally Grown, where we're talking about these nine characteristics that, that show as evidence that our lives really have been changed by God, that, that the Holy Spirit really does live inside of us. So Paul writes to these Galatians Christians in about 60 AD, and he's, he's talking about life with God. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, well, then this is what it's going to look like. And he He writes in Galatians 5, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Apples are the evidence that an apple tree is alive. And the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that a person is spiritually alive, that, they're, that they really do have a new heart. And today we're talking about self-control. I've got two definitions. I've got a long one for the smart people and a short one for the people like me. Here's the first one. Self-control is the exercise of inner strength under the direction of sound judgment that enables us to think say, and do things that are pleasing to God. Let me say, let me say that again. Self-control, it's the exercise of inner strength under the direction of sound judgment that enables us to think, say, and do things that are pleasing to God. And for the people like me who need a shorter, easier to understand definition, Self-control is doing what is right despite our desires. It's doing what is right despite our desires. And if you'll, if you'll let me, I'd just like to highlight three points about self-control that I am pulling from the New Testament. A little bit in Romans, a little bit in Titus. We'll hop around a little bit, but I'd like to bring up three true points about self-control You'll be delighted to hear that the first one may take me a while, but the second and the third are pretty short. You'll hang in there. Here's the first one, and it's obvious, but I need to say it anyways, but 
we're in a battle. We're in a battle. Whether it's food or wine or online shopping or a temper or a critical spirit or scrolling on Instagram, we're in a battle and every one of us could use a little bit more self-control. And the question is, why is it so hard to have self-control? Well, the true answer to that question is because it involves ourselves. It involves us. It's, it's much easier and more convenient to think that all of our problems or anything that feels out of control is somebody else's fault. It's our spouse's fault, our kid's fault, our co-worker's fault, our parents' fault, the culture's fault. It's their fault. If they would get it together, then I wouldn't feel like I'm so out of control. That is a convenient way to think, but it's not true. The, the Bible says that the enemy, the, the enemy that we face most often as it relates to, you know, decisions that we're making and, and going about life, the, the enemy that we face most often stares at us every single morning when we brush our teeth. It's in the mirror. It's us. We have this sinful nature that we were born with. And so, no, the problem is not always out there. It's in here. We've got these hearts that are prone to wander. Even if we have made a decision to follow Jesus, we're still in the process of being sanctified and purged from these desires. Paul, who wrote to the Galatians, that verse I just read you a second ago, also wrote to the Romans. And and I find it refreshing to see that I'm not the only person who has ever struggled with self-control. Paul, who I would deem as kind of a superhero Christian missionary, even he struggles with some self-control. And he writes it out in Romans 7, and I I don't even know if I could write it better myself. I mean, he, it's almost like he's in my head. In Romans 7, 14, this is what Paul writes. He says, the trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. So, he, so, so Paul just lays the groundwork, and I know that's not what you wanted to hear this morning. You wanted to hear that you were awesome, but Paul writes it, and we can relate, the trouble is with me. It's not somebody else's issue that has made me feel out of control. It's, it's me. The problem is with me. And then look what he says next. He says, I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do is, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I, re- I read that and I go, I can relate to that. I've got good intentions a lot of the time, but instead of doing the good things that I want to do, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. I lack self-control. I made this New Year's resolution and it lasted for two and a half days. I can relate, Paul. I, I think about it, it goes, man, like I want to eat healthy. Buffalo chicken dip? Pizza? I I don't do what I want to do. I want to be a great dad, and I don't want to spend so much time on my phone. But sometimes I sneak into the bathroom, and I lock the door, and I sit there so long that my legs fall asleep. And I got to get up, and I got to try to not tear my ACL as I wander back into the living room with numb legs. I want to pray for you every day. But I don't, because I get busy 
or I believe the lie that there's a better use of my time. I don't want to talk negatively about people. I don't want to gossip, but sometimes I do. So Paul, I can relate. Paul doubles down on it. Romans 7, 18 and 19. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. So I want to be generous. I like the idea of being generous, but I'm just having a hard time getting there. I want to go to bed at a reasonable hour. I want to be well-rested so that I can work hard and serve the people that are around me, my family or my children, but it's 11.30 again. I don't want to overcommit myself. When, my, when I overcommit myself, I just don't feel like myself, but I did it again. And so I can relate, Paul. And, and most of the sins that I commit, most of the mistakes that I made, they're not made out of this, uh, I was just naive. It's not, it's not that I didn't know it was wrong. It, almost always I can point back and go, it's just because I couldn't control myself. It really boils down to the fact that I didn't have self-control there. And then Paul, I think this will be helpful, explains why this is so hard. Paul writes, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Paul explains this dynamic within me. It is, there's a sin nature inside of me that I can point to to say, okay, now this makes more sense because it felt like I just couldn't control myself. And now it's, it's true. I, I can't control my, and I inevitably do what is wrong. If you've ever asked the question, what is wrong with me? Where does this come from? Paul tells us it's the sin living in me that does it. And the sin living in us has a theme song. I think this is a Tim McGraw song. It goes like this. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. And I don't know what Tim McGraw is talking about. It might be corn on the cob or something like that. That is the theme song of the sinful nature in our hearts. You like it? You love it, don't you? Don't you want some more of it? Now you need it. Now you're desperate for it. Now you can't live without it. And now it feels out of control. That is the song that is being sung to you. We're in, we're in this battle, and it feels like a tug of war. It feels like we've got God a lot of the time on this side pulling and saying, I, I created you. I know what is best for you. If you'll, if you'll listen to me and you'll follow me, you'll never regret it. It's better. And on the other side of the rope, we've got this sin living in us that pulls and says, no, he doesn't. He doesn't know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. Don't listen to him. And there's a tension that, that all of us live with. We're in a battle. Here's the second point. And as I promised, it's a hair shorter. This will be a lifelong battle. 
Paul, who wrote to the Galatians and to the Romans, wrote 13 different books of the New Testament. He also wrote another book to a man named Titus, who was a pastor at a church in Crete. And and when Paul writes to Titus, he's encouraging Titus to encourage his church. And this, this is what he writes. I found this to be pretty interesting. Notice what he says about self-control. Titus 2, verse 2, he says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled. Teach the older men to be self-controlled and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Okay, that, that covers the older men. How about, how about the older women? Let's see, let's see. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine. In other words, teach them to have self-control. Verse 4, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. So he goes to the old men, he goes to the older women, says goes to the younger women, the younger men, be self-controlled, be self-controlled. It's a mark of spiritual maturity, self-controlled. But, but it's, it's important to note that this isn't a class that we graduate from. This isn't a talk for the youth group. Two days from the end of our lives, the sin living in us will whisper to us, no, he doesn't know what's best. You know what's best. Have a little bit more. And and to the end of this life, we are going to be in this battle. Number one, we're in a battle. Number two, it's not going to be over while we're here. It's a lifelong battle. And number three, we can win. But the question that I have is how? How? How do we grow to have more self-control so that areas of our lives don't feel out of control. Well, this is the part that I've been been the most excited to share with you. In those first six verses in Titus chapter 2, Paul says to the older men, the older women, the younger women, the younger men, be self-controlled. But Scripture never expects us to hear God's commands separate from our focus on God's work for us in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible is not a list of things that you need to do so that God will love you. It's a story that he already does. It's a story about how he already does. And so you can't, you know, you, you just don't find it in the Bible, this, these list of of rules or or things that we need to do separate from the work of God through Jesus Christ. You don't find those. If you separate those things, you're you're in trouble. When when Paul writes to those Christians in in Crete through Titus, he's saying, hey, be self-controlled. But he doesn't say be self-controlled and good luck with that. No, no, no. Paul brings them back to how it is possible to grow in self-control. And so if you have any interest this morning, if earlier when I asked the question, 
Do you have an area of your life that feels a little out of control? If you have any interest in that being in control by growing in self-control, this is the part of the message is that this is the part of the message that is for you. It's the part that I needed to hear the most. Self-effort without dependence on Christ is self-focused and destined for failure. And so Paul brings their attentions four verses later. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. This is what Paul writes to Titus. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. It is the grace of God that teaches us how to do this. While we wait for all of our lives for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. It is the grace of God that has appeared. It's the grace of God that teaches us how to say no. He has forgiven us and he will forgive us. And and I don't know about you, but, but yeah, this is true. Rules don't change people. They might curb behavior here and there for a period of time, but rules don't change people. Grace changes people. In fact, it is only grace that has the power to really change a person's heart. And so Paul is not saying you better be self-controlled. Pull it together. Get it together. More willpower, more determination. You can do it. It's not what Paul's saying. He's saying this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And it is the, it is the appearance of the grace of God that will teach you to say no. It is understanding more about the grace of God that will actually change your heart and produce this fruit in your life. And so, and so this is where, and I hope you hear me on this here at the end here. It changes our answer. So, so imagine a scenario where you've got an area of your life that feels a little bit out of control. And you're saying today that I just don't want that to be out of control. I want to have more self-control. And perhaps somebody will ask you at some point, they'll say, well, why are you doing this anymore? Why, why are you saying no to this? Do, do we respond? Well, my pastor, our church, they do have this list of rules that we need to follow if, you know, we want to be a good Christian. No. That is the worst answer. The, the answer that we give, if somebody says, well, why aren't you doing this? Why are you, why are you saying no? We're able to, to articulate, my, my life has changed and I have made it my goal to please God. 
I've made it my goal to please God. That's why I'm saying no. And don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't want to do it. There's still a tug of war going on in my heart. But the reason that I'm saying no is because I've made it my goal to please. I'm not going to sell out for this short-term pleasure because I have a father who loves me, who sent his son to die for me. He's preparing a place for me and he's waiting for me. And so no, I'm not going to do that because I've made it my goal to please God. Grace has transformed my heart. I don't think you're going to have any success if you go with the first answer. Well, my church has some rules I have to... It's not going to work. It's not going to work. But if we make it our goal to understand the grace of God and, and have our lives please God, well... I think we got a chance. Let, let me close with three questions. With the areas, with the area that feels out of control, let me, let me just ask you, have you ever asked God for help? Because if you're anything like me, my first instinct is to go download an app for help. Or talk to a friend for help, or even go to a counselor for help, or go on vacation for help, or read a book for help. Essentially, God, a lot of times, is the last thing that I think to try, because I like to try it myself first. And I mean this sincerely. If there's an an area of your life that feels out of control, where you don't have any self-control, maybe it's been like that for a while, and it feels like you have tried everything, Have you ever faithfully, consistently gone to God and said, I need your help? The good news is that the God of the Bible does not cross his arms and say, you should be ashamed of yourself. No, no, no. He says, I'm so glad that you asked for help. One of my favorite verses in the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, looking to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. One of the ways that we express our commitment to him is we're humble enough to ask for help. And he says, I thought you'd never ask. Of course, this is a fruit of the spirit that God wants to produce in us. It starts with us asking for help. And we will find that God is far more forgiving and far more powerful than we thought that he was. Here's the second question. How will you respond If someone draws your attention to an area of your life that they think may be out of control. If somebody loves you enough to come to you today or this week and say, hey, I'd probably watch out for that. How would you respond to that? Will you respond defensively or in humility? One of those is wise, and one of those is very foolish. What if your spouse or your roommate or your parents or your children said, hey, you might want to watch out for that. 
Decide in your heart right now, how are you going to respond to that? Good friends tell their friends when to be careful if they see danger. And a lot of times our friends can see it better than we can. And so let's not be so cautious and avoid any kind of conference. Let's be good friends. Good friends say something and trust that perhaps our friends will receive it. Here's the last question. Probably should have started with this, but I guess ran in with it. It's as simple as this. Have you ever received the grace of God in your life? Because what we're talking about are steps on the Christian's journey. But, but if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, well then, step one is to say, okay, we're going to get to the self-control, but first, I need to get right with God. Have you, have you ever really made a decision and received his forgiveness? Because all of the fruits of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, all the way to self-control, none of them are possible without the grace of God. You will feel a lifelong tension war inside. You'll never have those until you get right with God. And so maybe today's the day that you make that decision. That step one is, I'm not right with God. I need to get right with God. And all this fruit will follow. But maybe today is just getting right with God. We're going to sing a song here in a minute, but I don't want to rush to it. Because I like giving everybody a chance to think and to pray. We have a prayer team that's in the back, three or four different individuals. Here are four things I think maybe we could respond by praying for. One, we could pray and ask God for help. If you have an area of your life that's out of control, pray and ask God for help. The second thing is we could ask God for humility. Because somebody who loves us might bring up an area that we're not really aware of today or this week. We could pray and ask God for humility to receive that. Number three, we could pray for boldness. Because if I see an area in somebody I love's life, I'm not running to have that conversation, but, but it's the right thing to do if I love them. So maybe we might pray for boldness. And then number four, we might pray for grace. Maybe you've never prayed and received the grace of God on your life. It's the only thing that can really transform you. And so which one of those do you want to pray for? Help, humility, boldness, or grace? Let me give you about two minutes to pray for those if you'd like, and then we'll sing a song together. Listening to the Three Creeks Church podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.